1: Alright guys, welcome to today's show and on the show with me today is Skylar Watkins. Now, this is going to be an amazing episode because he's going to share all about his organization for Progeny and their vision for how to preserve property for our future generations and so I'm really excited about this one. This intro isn't going to be very long because I really don't want to steal his thunder and what his organization is doing on the front end. I'm going to let him explain all of that to you throughout this episode but I'm pumped. I'm ready to jump in. So let's do it.
2: Like he was doing things that were just badass.
1: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dean had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right guys, welcome to today's show and joining me on the show today is Skylar Watkins. Now, we we met online, but he has some really cool and really interesting ways to kind of combat the loss of our public lands and get hunters more engaged in the preservation of hunting property for us and future generations. And so I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm looking forward to hearing all that Skylar's been up to and what he has in store for the future. So Skylar, thanks for hopping on with me.
2: Heck yeah, man. It's a it's an honor to be here. I'm I'm excited to talk about it.
1: So I don't want to I don't want to give too much away on my end. I want to let you be able to do that because you've been you've been working towards some pretty incredible things. And so at the front end of this show, why don't you share with the listeners what you guys are doing uh with the wild you as well as with four progeny
2: yeah so the wild you um was it was really i've i've got a guy that i I also own a company called blackwater um where we're we're outfitters and and um you know basically guided hunts down here in the state of texas and my head guy um has been with me for years and he's one of the most artistic people i've ever met in my life and he's he can just do some really cool stuff and so you know we always go traveling together and doing this different stuff and i said you know what we ought to just make a little bit of content about what we're doing and so we tried to with the wild you uh figure out a way that um you know it could be the outdoors could be more inclusive and not from a standpoint of like hunter recruitment or angler recruitment but just for a standpoint of um in dealing with as many clients as we deal with on a hunting basis um a lot of times you see that that in general um and i'm not going to make a blanket statement and say everybody's like this but in general a lot of your you know blue collar hunting community um can can get to the point and i think we see this a lot of times in social media can get to the point where we get pretty argumentative you know where that buck needed another year or you're doing this wrong or my way is the only way to do this and so for somebody that's interested that may not fit that regular blue collar bill um, sometimes instead of you know building up the courage to come out and say you know or take the chance to be cut down and saying hey i want to be in this this is what i'm doing instead of you know taking the chance on that, sometimes they may just say, you know what, I'd rather just go do video games or skateboard or whatever. And so we were trying to make a platform that was like, Hey, we don't, we don't care who you are, what you are, what you do, how you live your life. If you're interested in the outdoors, you know, here we are, we're willing to help. And we're going to start at a basic level and go up to, you know, not that we're experts, but go up to the highest level of knowledge that we have um, to try to make getting into this lifestyle a little easier on them. And, uh, so Jancy and I started doing that turns out there's not a whole lot of people that want to hear that. Um, and so, um, you know, in the meantime, I got frustrated with it. Right. And so, um, in, in an effort just to grow the account, with me getting frustrated with it, I would watch these videos and then I would, I would take on the personification of somebody that was like the people we were dealing with on a day-to-day basis and just have this loud, obnoxious yelling at the screen tone about what they're doing wrong and why they're not doing this and turns (laughs) out, Everybody loves that. Right. And yeah. so we, yeah. um, you know, we, we start popping off videos with 6 million views and 4 million views and the followers go through the roof and now everybody wants to be your friend, you know, and I'm like completely backwards from what I would, the goal I was trying to <laughs> obtain has occurred, you know? And so now I have this big, I think we're like 159,000 followers on TikTok, And, and uh, with the exception of serious views, any funny video that I do just, flies off the shelf with views and likes and shares and everything like that um and so the wild you as a whole um in my opinion is pretty stagnant because for comical entertainment it is what it is you know and maybe we could take a road show and just do hunting comedy and and probably gather a little following for that but for the actual passion of what it was about um it's become pretty stagnant you know you yeah. get the same the same 100 people or so that follow anything and everything you do, they're there to interact and, and, you know, to help you create that, that positive message and, and, um, quality content to actually help people from a how to standpoint, but the masses that are there to watch, they're just there for the jokes. And so in doing that, I was able to meet, uh, cause we started our own podcast, uh, the wild you podcast. And in doing that, I was able to meet some, um in my mind some fairly important people that were able to speak on on topics that were near to me of you know how you got into hunting and fishing and why you did it and what's important to you and the conservation side of it and man I just went down this rabbit hole and I went down this rabbit hole of watching in our personal business of Blackwater the the price of participating in the hunting and fishing world going through the roof and the average man not being able to do that from a private land guided standpoint anymore. And then I I started going down the, the path of, okay, but we still have all this public land. And how does this work? Because I live in Texas where we have an extremely limited amount of public land. And the land we do have that you have to draw on has the worst odds out of anything you've ever seen in your life. And so, you know, I wasn't familiar with that other than going and doing some over the counter stuff with buddies in Colorado and stuff like that. And uh, so I, I jumped down that rabbit hole and then I found, Holy cow, man, this, this public land thing is just as political and just as crazy as the private land thing is. It almost made me like kind of understand the private land aspect more because you didn't have to deal with the BS that came with the, the political influence of the public side yeah. um and so when i started getting into that i was like okay well what's the what's the fours and the against you know and and um read every book about teddy roosevelt that that has ever been written you know i i took a deep dive into uh the meat eater campaign and i i don't agree with everything that that the Mediator campaign says or does but there is some stuff that they've written there's some stuff that that ranella has written that uh, it are wonderful pieces of literature um, that really help. I took a deep dive into into mountain men and and um, you know Clay Newcomb's stuff and the history of of where we are and why we're here. And in doing this, I realized that there is a lot of pros for public land and for families being able to go out, whether it be for pleasure or for sustenance or because it's their way of life and being able to access this property and and do what is natural to them. Um, however, we have huge movements from anti-hunting organizations that are extremely detrimental um, to our way of life. We have this political influence that I, I call it pocket padding. Um, and... We actually have somebody that's that's heavily involved with Four Progeny now, uh, which is the name of our our nonprofit organization. But we have somebody that's heavily involved that I met kind of like I met you. I met him on on TikTok, and we met due to a disagreement. We were arguing about stuff, and my point was that really and truthfully, in this public land game, money still wins. You know, from these governmental entities and um he and i argued about that and the more we looked into it the more not that he came completely to my side but the more he said okay i realize your point because this this pocket padding that goes on um and i'm not going to say it's it's a conspiracy or corruption as a whole but there are a lot of individuals that we vote to put in place um you know as constituents that we vote to put in place that we feel are going to have our best best interests at heart and then these lobbying groups come in and somehow our interest is put to the wayside and a different group's interest gets put to the forefront and later on you find out that you know that life might be a little better financially for these politicians <laughs> and um, yeah. and so that's disturbing and so that was two of the three. And then the third one I found out about, because I was under the influence, um, not knowing much about public land, I was under the influence for years that, that public lands weren't sold off. You know, that was something that that was given to us. Um, you know, we set aside as a government, everybody voted on it, the government set aside these wonderful lands, and that would always remain in the people, you know, the North American um, model of, of conservation, and then I find out that, no, that's not necessarily true. You know, if a, if a governor or a governmental entity sees fit that this land is not being used and, and is being devalued or whatever, they do have the ability to sell that off to um, private individuals or to corporations. And a lot of times um, it's done so I don't want to say behind closed doors, but for guys like me and you, the average person, it's definitely behind closed doors because we don't know where to go find these auctions. We don't know how to put our bids in. And there's no real documentation out there or an easy path for you and I to go, hey, let's go out there and and acquire that. You know, most of it is done in a manner that's kind of difficult for the average person to go see and pretty easy if you've got a little bug in your ear um to tell you hey this this property is about to come up if you guys want to get in on this you know
1: yeah so that was i feel like they're not disturbing (laughs) oh i could i could totally imagine discovering that is gonna is gonna rub you the wrong way but yeah it's it's interesting to see how they go about doing it you know because nobody no mayor governor senator is gonna go in front of everybody and be like hey you guys know that amazing hiking trail that everybody loves going on with the waterfall and the cool views, yeah, we're going to sell that to, you know, such and such company or individual. Like, obviously, in order to save face, they do it in a secretive way, but just the fact that they have the ability to transfer, you know, federal lands to state lands in order to sell them off to other people, like, there's certain things that are, that I feel like, as the American people should not be, it it should be off the table. Like it should never be able to disappear. And there's, I feel like there's very limited. I don't know the exact number of acres, but I know there are protected places that they cannot sell. But as a whole, a lot of the public lands that we know as public and that we love to travel to and visit can through loopholes and back doors be sold off and so i get where you're coming from yeah i from. was
2: looking at a uh, situation that was brought up by uh robbie kroger at blood origins about a six thousand acre piece of property called the black prairie wma in mississippi and their their representative in that area came out and said publicly which thank the lord he did say publicly because if he would have held it privately and done it it would have probably gone through but he came out and said publicly, um, you know, this this property is, is not accessed enough. There's buildings on here that aren't being used. This is 6,000 acres in our district that we're receiving zero tax dollars on. We need to sell this property to a private investor and allow taxes to be paid on this property. And... And you're sitting there thinking like, okay. And I, I watched that very thoroughly and it, it, it ended up getting shot down because probably because he opened his mouth about it, you know? Um, but I, I, I took that to heart and I was like, I wonder if that happens in Texas with our limited land. And so I looked, I, you know, trying to find information in, in today's day and age where you can find information about freaking anything, trying to find information about the purchasing of, let's say BLM land or state land is extremely difficult. But I did find out like in my state, they do sell the land and you can, where they have, they have an actual auction page, right? And on the auction page, they'll put up stuff like, you know, some houses or buildings or whatever. And then they'll have, you know, vehicles or machinery that they've used. And you can, you can bid on any of those right there on the auction. But when it comes to actual raw land acreage, You have to go find your your state office, go to that place physically, and ask to obtain a copy of the properties they're wanting to sell. And then you have to find the dates they're going to do those auctions or make your bid on it, you know, silent bid or whatever. And I'm like, this is this is extremely difficult. And there's no way you can tell me that there's a reason to do that when you've listed all this other stuff that I could do it online from, you know. So to me, it feels like, well, that's kind of hidden, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, But uh, uh, that's, it's just, it's difficult navigating it all. And like you said, when it's, when the information isn't out there in the open for everybody to see, like how do you go about figuring out what the true problem is without hearing it from somebody else? How do you do the research to actually know, like how can we go about protecting this? How can we access it? How can we get the land back into public and keep it from ever being privatized or sold off? Um, it's, it's a, an interesting thing to navigate, but I feel like, I mean, even with TikTok and Instagram and all these social platforms, podcasting, uh, it's a cool way to get information out about it all.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think, too, an, another thing to keep in mind is that while we have these things, while we have the anti-hunting movement fighting against this, while we have political pad you know pocket padding and while we have governmental sell-offs we also have a giant shift in the paradigm for the wealth distribution in our current economy um and by that i'm meaning you know the the extremely wealthy are getting more and more wealthy and the middle classes and and the impoverished is kind of going down and so what you see is people now That uh, you've got land prices going through the roof and you have a certain classification of people, usually larger corporations or extremely wealthy people, and they're not all bad people. I'm not saying that. I don't want to say that at all. But what I am saying is they have the ability to go out to some of these rural areas that are undeveloped and purchase large tracts of land to develop into whatever, water parks or condominiums or apartment complexes or whatever it is and once that's done that land is no longer until we have a apocalyptic apocalyptic event that land is no longer going to be turned back into a wildlife conservation sanctuary it will always remain concrete you know and so that's another that's another scary situation that's going on right in front of our face you know and so it's really it's, it's kind of disturbing to me and that was kind of the The ideology behind four progeny, when we started, you know, and not to jump ahead, but when we started looking into it, my initial thought was, okay, these individuals, these corporations, they have more money than any one of us individually. But communally, as a group, we can play in their atmosphere. Um, The question is, will we, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 And to get everybody on board with that and be like, hey, for a couple bucks a month, I mean, we could make a serious difference. Obviously it takes a lot of people a couple bucks a month, but it's something that everybody can handle. And really now the biggest obstacle is just getting the word out about it. And so in looking at, in looking at, you know, the potential of getting a certain percentage of the hunting organization together, all all pitching in a little bit or what they can to purchase some of these lands what what is the goal from there uh is it is it to keep to purchase them privately but then give them access to the normal public or is there a governmental organization that once they go public they can never be reverted to private
2: so the way we've done it is in setting it up with this, with the nonprofit, um, you have to have, and let me tell you this, I've, I've owned and started multiple companies in my lifetime. I've never done a nonprofit. So this was an entirely new situation for me. And it is a lot of stinking work (laughs) to get the paperwork to do. This is crazy, but you have these things called bylaws and you have to put, um, all your stuff in there. And when you, when you go to get your tax exemption status so that people can donate and get, you know, deductible tax credit for that um you have to list exactly what you're going to do with with the money and how your organization's set up and how you're going to receive it and what you're, you know the whole nine yards and um in this process we've put in there that once the land is purchased by for progeny it can never again be sold off for private ownership and if for progeny is to go belly up at some point or you know my days are obviously limited um, just as a human. So I die and somebody decides they're not going to take it over and keep it going. Those lands would either have to be turned back into governmental public land or they would have to go to a like-minded nonprofit to be used in the same manner. So if you had a situation, you know, let's say where um, we had, these great mule deer properties in the panhandle of Texas, and for progeny goes belly up, those properties could be transferred over to a group like the Mule Deer Foundation, to where the Mule Deer Foundation could now acquire this property and keep that same program going individually themselves. Okay. Um, and so it's not a situation. We have it in there that literally we cannot, um, whether we go belly up or somebody new takes over or whatever it is, the organization can never take a piece of property, sell it off to somebody private and distribute that money or pocket that money or anything like that. It cannot be done. It's illegal. And if somebody was to even try it, they'd end up in prison. So for the listeners, um, that's kind of your fail safe is that what you're doing in your donation is you're guaranteeing yourself that whatever money that you put into this organization is going directly to purchase and preserve a piece of property um, for the access. And I know you had mentioned the access and how, you know, that stuff works. And obviously we've had some questions about, um, you know, well, does everybody, if, if you know, if I give my $3 a month, does that mean I'm guaranteed to be able to go out there? And the answer to that is yes and no, because obviously there's big game species on every piece of property. And let's say that, because um, each piece of property, I guess we should start with how it goes from start to finish. Um, But we do it per project basis, right? And so our project one is we, we took a big vote all the way across the United States. And what I did was I just took money out of my own pocket and I did sponsored paid ads across the entire United States. And we're just doing this in the 48. We're not doing this in Alaska and Hawaii, but the continental U.S., and did sponsored ads all the way across it for what's the first state that you would like to see a project run in and it was overwhelmingly texas won that vote and i had some people come back and say oh it's just because you live in texas i'm like no i spent money in every state (laughs) to, to advertise this um and so the vote came back for texas and then we um we listed out it was somewhere, it was between 10 and 20 properties that we listed out there. Oh no, then we did species. Which species would you like to see on the first property in in, uh, ranking them from highest to least in importance? And so we got that list. Then we found 10 properties um, that were for sale that fit those bills and we let everybody vote again. We narrowed that down to three and then we had a vote on those three and the, the piece that won was 6,400 acres on the Pecos River in southwest Texas. It has five miles of Pecos River frontage and um, 6,400 acres, and it's got mule deer, oddad, whitetail, uh, hogs, quail, two different species of quail, dove, and then your predator species, and then it also has the five miles of river frontage that you can fish. It's got two different um, buildings on it that could be turned into lodging and then obviously you could have primitive camping or whatever. And so that's project one. We had um, we went through an, uh, a complete list of what would it take to not only purchase this pro- this property, but also to put in a fantastic management plan with a ranch manager and a gatekeeper that are 24 7 on the property, um, equipment needed water, the whole nine yards. And it came out to like five point five million dollars. Would do the entire thing and let it run wild and free for a year. And you know, after a year, obviously the people coming in would would um, pay to keep the ranch manager and the gatekeeper employed there. Um, but in saying that, now you have a biologist that comes in and helps with. Um, quota and harvest data and says okay look in this area with the way y'all have this set up you can safely harvest you know 10 mule deer bucks 10 whitetail bucks 500 wild hogs you know x amount of quail x amount of this and that and we take those numbers and on the big game species then you just have a draw like the majority of your other public lands, right? Because we can't just say, hey, it's open and everybody come out there and kill every mule deer on the property, and then it's no good after that. Um, and so in that aspect, when people ask, we say, well, on the big game species and species such as quail, which are have to be managed, um, there will be a draw for those. However, when it comes to dove hunting, um, fishing access, recreational access, um, hog hunting, stuff like that, it will be opened up for day use.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I that's mean, right. obviously you've thought through a lot of this stuff, but it's cool to hear like the fact that you're putting all this information out there to the people, getting their take, figuring out what state they want to see projects in, seeing what property they'd rather see projects on, figuring out what kind of animals they're interested in going after, And I mean, I feel like one thing you'll probably run into is as you do these surveys, if an overwhelming amount of the time it's Texas, you know, they're going to be like, yeah, do it in Texas again, Texas again, or with whitetail hunting, turkey hunting and bass fishing, making up 80% of the outdoor industry, you're probably going to hear those species come up quite a bit, but to diversify and go to all these different states, you know, figure out, hey, we have a goal by 2030 to to have a project in 20 different states or something like that right. you know you'll be able to you'll be able to run with it um the other thing that i find yeah, very to interesting yeah to touch on
2: that real quick is is that each time we do a project we have it in the in the bylaws that each time we do a project um that that state cannot immediately be the following project oh okay um, and so if we do this first project is in texas So after this project is completed, the uh, project two, the following project cannot be back in Texas. It has to be in a different location or area. Um, And we're also willing to do, um, which there are some other companies that are are organizations that do this, but we are also willing to, we we had a piece of property in New Mexico get brought to our attention. It was 160 acres, I believe but it butted up and was the only access point to 5,500 acres of BLM land in the Gila National Forest. And so that property had a price tag of around $600,000 for 160 acres. And we, we looked long and hard on that project. It, it ultimately did not get voted number one, but had it been voted number one, what we would have done in that instance was take that 160 acres and, and set it up in a manner that, you know, if you Dan draws a tag to go in that area, you can now come in access this facility, um, which we would have put in lodging, bunk type lodging or whatever, as a you know as a base camp, um, cleaning facilities, showers, you know, restroom stuff like that, RV hookups, and then you have access to go to that point, and from that point now you can enter that 5,500 acres that you would not have been able to enter previously, um, and so we're we're definitely interested and involved in that aspect of it, too. Um, It just depends on, obviously, the state and the property that, that gets situated. And so just wanted to touch on that, too, that it's not that, I mean, we're definitely looking to buy large tracts of land to be able to open up, you know, more acreage per hunter but if that comes from a situation where this piece of already public is landlocked privately and we can access it with a smaller piece to allow people to use that, then we're, we're definitely on board for that too.
1: All right, guys. So I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform go wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now go wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women, just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com. get started. No, that's awesome. Because there is so much landlocked uh, property all around the country in the way that the grid and the checkerboard pattern is in a lot of the West and Southwest. uh, It makes it difficult. And I know there's other organizations that are doing that buying property just so that we actually can access our public land. But obviously, like you guys of the same mind could potentially work together. And it's like, hey, you know, one of us on our own can't can't purchase this or it's not going to work out, but the two organizations come together, they could buy that 160 acres and give access to 5,500 acres with a much smaller purchase. So uh, it's really cool to hear that. And I think, I think you guys are going to have a lot of cool support as this continues to develop and grow, because even, even looking at different management opportunities or studies, instead of having to pay biologists or pay uh, ranch managers or things like that, if, if it is close to a big community or a a college town and you can start getting students involved and they can come out there, biology students or wildlife management students, uh, to come out there and help out. I think, I mean, obviously I think you're onto something, uh, which is why I was like, dude, absolutely. Let's hop on this podcast and chat. I am curious about the, the draw system, uh, and, and what that will look like in order to gain access for some of those quota animals, um, Have you have you spoken with any wildlife organizations, uh, fish and game organizations to find out how that will look? Like, would they be purchasing a private land hunting license or would it technically fall under a public land hunting license in order to hunt on these properties that you purchase? Um, Well,
2: each. Each state is obviously different, right? Because each state has their own game and fish laws. Um, And so it would have to correlate in that. Some of the states, um, you know, as you're already aware of, some of the states, depending on how much land you have, you get X amount of of landowner tags as is. Um, And so you could work off that system. When you have a a state like Texas, where it's pretty much a free-for-all, you know, there is no, you don't buy quote unquote, tags in the state of Texas, you buy a license and that gives you every one of your tags, you know, you as a, uh, and I don't even know where you live, Dan, but I'm assuming not in Texas. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, if you came to Texas as a non-resident, you'd pay $315 and that gives you five whitetail tags, two mule deer tags, four turkey tags. I mean, you've got it all right there. Um, and, and now you just have a, have to find a place to go use those tags. Um, so in the, the instance of, of project one you know the draw system on this project would just be a one-to-one basis because it would be you know whatever the application fee is that would be your your entrance fee um and you would have let's say one point for that we're not going to allow multiple points we're not going to allow you know additional preference points it, it you, you will you will retain your points on this particular project um, until you are drawn but it'll always be on a one-to-one basis Um, And we hope to keep that same rhetoric throughout every state we move to. The only difference will be that in some situations, you know, it won't be. Whereas in Texas, we can do it on our own from a biologist standpoint to say this is this is the amount of animals or species that we feel we can take off of this property. If we went to, let's say, New Mexico and own this property, uh, you know, privately and we're going to allow public access, it could be a situation where the state of New Mexico told us, okay, will you get eight landowner elk tags on this place. Well, in that case, that's how we would determine how many elk we were going to take off the place. Um, the draw would remain the same, though. We would say, we've got eight elk to take. You know, you can apply for this. Once, if you were to win, you know, Dan puts in, Dan gets drawn, you get one of our eight landowner tags.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's that's cool. And then as far as subscribing to that, for for listeners who are interested in the future, um, how, how do they go about getting involved? Is it just going to be open? Do you have to have some type of uh membership or sign up deal in order to access these properties or be put into a drawing?
2: No, that's the that's kind of the cool thing is that in you know in respect to this being a a play on adding more acreage per hunter across the United States for public access. This is also a um, a big play in I'm um, trying I guess the word would be social capital and um, you know the demographics of the way we represent ourselves as outdoorsmen because with it being a nonprofit, I cannot I cannot force you to purchase something, to give you access or grant you access to the ability to use this, okay. right? Because I'm opening it up. Um, however, um, I mean, you, you, there are certain instances, right. Where like, if you want to apply, sure, you're going to have to pay whatever it is, $3, $5 for your application fee, because we can charge that because I have to have an actual human person there processing all that. Right. So that's an actual job, and not a, not a quote unquote, chance to win or anything like that you're not paying for a chance to win you're paying for you know Susie to file your paperwork um, but in funding this situation we do have levels you know on the website right now if you go to 4progeny.org you can see on the donate button that we have a, a three dollar a ten dollar a twenty five dollar and a ninety five dollar and those are all per month deals and that's you as an American outdoorsman saying, I like this concept, this is a good idea, I want to do my part to increase the amount of acres per, per outdoorsman in the United States, that doesn't give you a better chance of getting drawn. And it's not required for you to do that to apply for one of the hunts. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, it's kind of a, it's a study in where our heart's at too, you know, yeah. because you are going to have, you are going to have people that, that go well, you know what? I'll just wait till I get some property and then I'll apply, and that's fine. If that's your mindset, that's fine. I will t- I will tell you from personal experience, and from seeing this in the first few days, you know, because we've only been launched for five days now, I think. Um, so, in seeing this in personal experience, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of people that go, "Well, show me something first, and then I'll do it." And I can tell you, just from being involved in these types of situations in the past that it takes a long time. If that's the mindset, if our mindset is here's an organization that's set up, they're legally obligated to do what they say. And therefore I believe in this and I'm going to jump in and participate because I want to see this go and I want to see it get bigger and I want to see it grow faster. Well, now we're, we'll, we'll knock it out of the park. But if the theory is I'm going to wait for everybody else to test the waters before I jump in, it will be a slow process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at some point there's the level of faith that you have to have in everything that you do. I mean, it's the same thing with well-established organizations. You know, there's going to be things that might pop up that you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. But, uh, you look at, you look at the NWTF or the Rocky mountain elk foundation, backcountry hunters and anglers, national deer Alliance, like, there's so many different organizations that have a branch of the organization that deals with some type of public land issues, but they all took faith to start up, right? Like None of them are just like, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to prove this, and then everybody can jump on board. It, at some point, yeah, somebody think- had to buy into it, or somebody had to front the money at the beginning, and so for people to... To jump into this, to be able to be a part of something that's unique, it's different than the other organizations that are out there. Um, I feel like it's it seems like a great organization to get involved in, especially because of the way you guys are dealing with the issue, the way that uh, you know you might have technically NGO lands that are open to the public that people can have a better success rate potentially of drawing on than if they were to just go and draw an elk tag in New Mexico, um, or to give them access to 5,500 acres, you know, three bucks a month, and all of a sudden you can open up a huge chunk of public land to so many people.
2: Yeah, for sure, and I think um, one thing that I really wanted to do to to kind of set us apart, or to, you know, because anything you do, if you're not going to be different, there's no reason to do it, right? If there, If it's already out there, unless you are kind of narcissistic and can just and think to yourself, I'm just better than that other group and I'm going to do it better. Um, but anything out there normally to start something new, there has to be a need for it. You have to set yourself apart or be a little bit different. And so in this, my theory was is that there are a ton of great nonprofit organizations out there that support hunting and fishing and work their tails off to fight against those three main anti-hunting legislation, uh, political pocket padding, and and governmental sell-offs. There are, there are a plethora of organizations out there that do a fantastic job in fighting that. And when you look into them, like you said, they all have divisions, right? You got divisions that work in public land. You got divisions that, that are trying to help with lobbyists or whatever it is. Um, you've got big shows that, that they put on around the country, or you have these big meet and greets and all this different kind of stuff. And so I'm not going to say that you couldn't find it out, but I'm going to say that there are a lot of organizations that I donate to monthly that when I send my $10 a month in for that organization, I don't 100% know where that $10 is going. I know for a fact that it's it's going to hopefully better me and my my heritage of hunting and fishing but i don't know down to a t where every dollar of my ten dollars went and so when doing this i i said look here's what we're going to do we're going to make purchasing additional acreage per hunter the only thing that we do so that when johnny in tennessee gives us three dollars this month he knows that those three dollars went to purchase an acre somewhere or a portion of an acre somewhere And there is no questioning about it. Sure, you're going to have, like we talked about, you're going to have employees and you're going to have clerical cost or whatever that is. That that happens no matter what. But your money is going to do nothing but purchase acreage for you in your future to access for hunting and fishing and recreation opportunity. And I think that was that was pretty cool for me because I thought to myself, you know, if somebody came to me and I wrote this in an article not long ago and and, you know, was trying to, you know, how it gets when you, you do your podcast or videos or whatever, sometimes you have to convince yourself of what you're doing is the right thing to do, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I was talking to myself about it and I said, you know, if somebody came to me and said, I've got this organization and I need you to donate whatever, a hundred dollars to it. And here's what we do. And they listed 15 different things. I would have to. You know, consciously, I would have to stop and think, do I agree with all 15 of these things? And does my money make a difference in all 15 of these things split up, diversified? But if a a young man or a woman came and knocked on my door and goes, hey, Mr. Watkins, there's 200 acres down the road from you right here, and it's covered up in pheasant and quail, and we want to buy this land so that people in this community can access it and hunt it. And we need a hundred dollars from you. And I go, what else are you going to do with the money? And they go, nothing. We're, we're every dollar we get going to buy that piece of property. I'm pulling out my wallet because I know exactly where it's going. And I believe in that, you know, yeah. um, there's not, I don't, I don't have to think about that. I go, okay. They told me what they're doing and they're doing it and here you go, you know? And so we wanted to make it as easy as possible to understand. Um, and you know, as well as I do, We're not going to make everybody happy with that. Somebody's always going to have something to disagree with about how we're doing it. But at the end of the day, we're out here doing it and we're honest about what we're doing. So when you look at it, it's really easy to say, I'm either on board with adding more acreage or I'm not. And that's the only decision you have to make.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, it's cool because, you know, when it comes to a nonprofit, there are always those questions like, well, how much is everybody making off this? How much is... Actually going towards it. And I I've worked for nonprofits in the past, and it was really cool to see because they would put on some really, really big fundraising events, right? Uh, like things where CEOs of different companies would come and they'd partake in an amazing weekend where you know they had a great time, they got treated with awesome stuff, and it, it would raise questions. People are like, Well, where'd you get the money? Was my money that was supposed to go to, to this? Division of your organization? Are you actually spending it on that? And what's cool is when you when you have the buy in from different people. Like for them, they would put these fundraising events on one hundred percent through donations from a major org- a major company saying, "Hey, we want to pay for the fundraising event because we know that this hundred thousand dollars could potentially bring in ten million for you." And that's where you know, like you, you're going to be navigating a lot of this stuff now and here in the future. But to have people that do want to buy in at a higher level and say, hey, we want to not only give you money towards public lands, but also help you just get the awareness out. Like there's ways to do it, to be tasteful and to be completely honest and transparent with the money coming in so that you are able to go to the, go to the people who want to get involved and say, hey, your money, when you give me that $3 or $10 or $90 a month, that is all going towards a new purchase so that we can have more acres to hunt and, and leave for our children.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think that's, that is pretty cool. And when I looked at it, I thought, you know, you, me, pretty much, let's just call it how it is pretty much 90% of the people that would ever be involved in anything like this, they spend $3 a day, probably five times a day without ever batting an eye on stuff that, is meaningless in the, in the game of life. Right? right. I mean, it just, it happens nonstop. You go buy a Coke and a candy bar at the gas station today and you've spent $4 and 50 cents, you know, so you're, it, it, it can't, we can't say that it's the money that is the issue. And that's, I've always been a real black and white, you know, straight shooting. And, and I get in trouble for it a lot of times because I'm, I'm pretty harsh about it, but I don't like beating around the bush on stuff. And so I think it's just a waste of time, and we ain't got a lot of time here, you know. And so, my my thing is that we do have a lot of um, a lot of complaints about overcrowding in public hunting areas, about um, you know, too the the access is too limited, bottlenecking, all this different stuff. There's just not it's it costs too much. There's nowhere to go. The black and white of this theory is that with the internet background that that i have i said okay i'm going to build this and i'm going to build the vessel and i'm going to set it up for everything to work and then i'm just going to ask the american outdoorsmen who are upset about the lack of opportunity that they have to put the fuel in the boat so the three dollars can't mean much i'm going to make it as simple as it can be to where it's and i don't this is going to sound harsh but to where it's a put your money where your mouth is you know we either have to put up or shut up as a community to say we need more here's our way to get more now we can either be involved or we can't and if we're not going to be involved then it's real tough for me to be on your side about the complaint that we don't have the opportunity when here's a vessel saying, Look, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Come join us. You know, we want a minuscule amount of your financial income. And with that, in the masses, we're going to knock this out of the park. Because when we talked earlier about how the numbers lay out, there's 40 million licensed hunters and anglers in the United States. If 5% of those people gave $3, we would fund Project One today. It would be done today. So, if five percent of the American outdoorsmen gave three dollars right now, we would immediately add 6,400 acres and over a hundred new opportunities for public hunting, fishing, and recreation access today. When you go and tell somebody that individually, they're like, "Well, I'm in," you know. But getting yeah. that word out to the masses. Yeah. That's a difficult situation. And that's why we need people like you, you know what I mean? People that have this following that can go, Hey guys, just, just take a look at this. I'm not going to tell you to do it. I'm not going to try to force you to do it, but in the complaint that we have, here's a solution.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, it really is amazing to think about what we could all come together to do as a hunting and fishing community. And I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes and how it goes. And, However, I can help to get the word out there because it could make a big difference, man. I, I 100% believe that.
2: We, we sure, we sure appreciate that. I read a thing today um, through, I have my, my insurance through Texas Farm Bureau insurance, and they put out a thing today on their Facebook that um, just, just to, um, just to the fact of Large corporations and stuff buying up land for rural development. Um, by the year 2040, in the state of Texas alone, there will be 2.4 million acres of farm and, and agricultural and wildlife land that will no longer be in that, you know, in that area of um, whatever the word is I'm looking for in that state. It will all it will all be turned into rural development. And, um, so just in that, you know, in a, in a state that's already, um, you know, we have like 0.1 acres of public land per licensed hunter in the state of Texas. Um, so me and you can't even hunt in the same spot and draw our bow if we wanted to. Jeez. Um, but in a state like this, to think that we're, we're already so, um, depleted on our public lands that even the private land stuff now is starting to be taken away and we're, we're going to lose another 2.4 million um, in the next seven years. It's astonishing to think that, Hey, you know, we can't just sit by and, and, and let this happen, you know? And when you look at, um, at the way politics are working nowadays, we, it's, it's shoved in our face every day and every single day from both sides, we see, Something else comes up that's corrupt or this plan was put in our face to be able to do this. And guess what? That's not what's actually happening. And so I think that um, I think that most of us could agree that the American outdoorsman is the best steward of America's wildlife, that we are the most um, indebted to the wildlife and and we put more time and effort and money into protecting these species in these lands than any other group does. And therefore I think that we are the right people to be able to manage these lands and to preserve these lands and conserve these lands for our future generations. And so I'm not saying, and I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. I'm not saying that our current public lands are wrong. I'm not saying that our current public lands need to go away. I think they're beautiful and it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. But what I am saying is, I think we would do a pretty dang good job of adding more and managing those for ourselves um, than if we just sat by idly and expected political affiliates to keep our best interests in heart. It's kind of like, hey, sometimes the best people for the job is ourselves, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's yeah. two ways to go about it. If if you want if you want public land in the future. One, you have to guarantee the preservation of the current public land and two, you have to acquire more. Like those are the only options. And so
2: that's exactly right.
1: what what you're talking about, I mean it's it's just another facet to where we can ensure that future generations have places to hunt. And I like what you said earlier about like, hey, it's time to you know kind of put up or shut up and see what happens because I, I say that all the time in my life, I, I tell myself, I tell my family like, hey, if you're not actively doing something about a situation, you can't complain about it. Obviously, that's Amen you can that. complain <laughs> about it, but it's like for me, you know, complaining about getting a dad bod. Well, if I'm not going to the gym and doing something to fight against a dad bod, like what am I complaining about it? if I If I complain about not having enough money, but here I am spending money really poorly or not finding new ways to create income i have no business complaining about it and it's the same thing with the american outdoorsman with public land obviously it's a hot button item nobody else wants you know if i'm hunting a chunk of public land i don't want to see another person out there well the problem is you have to have people out there actively using it donating to it in order to preserve it and create more of it and so if, if you're one of those people that's listening and you're always complaining about how cra- overcrowded public land is, here's an opportunity to do something about it. Here's an opportunity to create more acreage for you, your family, your friends, future generations to get out and enjoy the sports that we all love. Exactly, exactly. Well, man, I really appreciate you hopping on. I'm I'm excited. I'm going to get online. And actually, before I hop off, I want to make sure that everyone knows exactly where they can go to donate, where they can go and give their $3 or $10 or $99 a month to help preserve America's public lands and create more of them.
2: Yeah, for sure. So first of all, we do have an Instagram account. It's just for the number four progeny, P-R-O-G-E-N-Y, for progeny on Instagram. And we do daily updates on that. Um, and one of the updates that we do is anytime we have a bank account change or a visitor rate change on the website, we post that up the very next day. So if you, if you go on there and look, you'll see that uh, the other day, I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but there was whatever it was, 200 people visited the site and we took in 73 new dollars of donations per month on that day. And so it's always an open book. If anybody has any questions about the money or has anything been spent or whatever, they're always willing or you know more than welcome to to email us in at the website and I will send a screenshot of the actual bank account obviously minus the numbers of of the account numbers, but I'll send a screenshot of the actual funds in the bank account so that people can see that that money does not move and does not get used until the project is completed. Um, And then if you would like to participate, you can visit us at www.4progeny.org, O-R-G, number four, P-R-O-G-E-N-Y.org, And that'll take you to the website. You can read about Project One on there. You can read about everything that we're doing and stand for. And then there's a button on every page in the top right hand corner that says donate. You can click on that and that will take you to the levels of donation page that we have. All of the donations on there are monthly. So I just want everybody to understand that before they get into it. There's amounts from $3 a month up to $95 a month. It'll ask you to sign up and then you can pay right there online and it will just auto draft that amount on the same day, every single month.
1: Man, that's awesome. And I do encourage everybody to go check it out. See if it is an organization that you want to be part of. And um, like I said, I'm going to be keeping track of it, following the progress, seeing when project one gets complete and hopefully uh, give some two cents on the other projects, you know, I would love to be part of those studies, man. That sounds great to just get Heck on yeah. there and be like, hey, man, I want to see it in Pennsylvania or Kentucky or Utah, wherever that might be. I think it's it's amazing the transparency that you have, the amount of involvement that you're allowing people to be part of it and and to put their opinion out there of where they want to see projects, what animals they want to see protected and go that route.
2: Yeah, I think it's very important for everybody to remember that although I built the website and 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 came up with this crazy idea, this organization is communal. It's community-based, and I want it to always remain community-based. This is not an individualistic ideology. It's this is what we need as a community, and and this is what we're going to do as a community, but it also means that for it to work, the community must participate, um, and so if that if that is like you just said, if that is important to you, then it's worth spreading the word about. It's worth getting other people in your inner circle involved, and when we go on to do the next projects or whatever you know, voting on anything, it's very important that we have masses of mass amounts of community people to come in and say this is what we're going to do because in this organization. Um, As I'm sure anybody that's listened has already realized, I'm not making the decisions on this. It's 100% what the community says we should do. That's what we're doing. So if you enjoy studies in how would it work if we were in control, this is your perfect opportunity because whatever the majority of the community says to do, that's what we're going to do. And that's where the next project will be. Right now, we need to get this Project One funded so that for the people that have trouble with Blind faith—they um, can actually feel and see something physical. I think that will really help. So we need to get that done. So we need anybody that is—that is, that is um, you know, of the mindset of I'm going to do it because I believe in it. We need them to jump on board right now. And when we get this, we'll have the other people that need to see or feel or, you know, hear something prior to be able to jump in. But once that happens, I think people will realize really quickly that this isn't a one-man show. This is a community-based organization. And whatever the community decides to do, that's the direction we're going to go in. And I think I think we're going to hit a home run when the community gets on board.
1: Absolutely, man. I, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm hoping. I've got a new goal. I want to come down and hunt on one of these properties or travel out to wherever one of these properties is and do a podcast one day after listening to this back and and then being able to actually go and experience one of these properties even if it's just going on a hike or getting getting the line wet uh to actually see this firsthand for myself and do to do an episode there i think that would be pretty sweet
2: uh, i'm 100 percent in on it man and and i'd like to say this too dan real quick just from following you on tiktok and stuff like that i think it's uh Um, and I, I hate being patted on the back and so I don't want to put you in a weird spot, but I, I do think it's fantastic, um, what you've done. And I just, I just follow you on TikTok and I've listened to a few of your podcasts, but I do think it's fantastic. Uh, what you've done um, and and having your wife there and and having a couple that has decided that something was important to to y'all and you you stepped out and you took a chance and and you're doing it in a family atmosphere in a clean atmosphere. And for that, I commend you, man. I think that's I think that's very cool, and i I think we really need a lot more of that in society.
1: And I really do appreciate that. and uh, thanks again for hopping on the show. I look forward to following along with the journey and uh everybody get out there check out for progeny figure out what it is that you can donate to take part in this movement and uh let's get some more land for future generations thanks buddy and that is going to wrap it up for the show today man what a great episode with Skylar, and what a cool concept for helping secure the future of hunting in our country helping to ensure that our kids and their kids have a place to hunt when we leave it up to the government, when, when they have the opportunity to potentially sell off state land to private industry, why not? As a hunting industry, pick that property up and put it right back into the hands of the public. I think it's such a cool idea and I would encourage you all. I hopped on the website, I signed up, and I feel like if we all do that little bit, we can seriously, make a difference as far as the land that we have access to, the properties that we can hunt. And if not for us, do it for the kids and their kids and all the future generations after us. But I know there's a lot of organizations out there and most hunters are already part of them, but this seems very special and very unique. And so I'm excited to hop on board and I want to see it take off. So. Uh, go check it out. If it's the right fit, sign up, donate what you can. And let's see some of these properties start to get purchased and opened up for the general public. That's all I got for you today though. I'm about to head out West. I'm super excited about it. And, uh, Lots to come in the near future. So hopefully I can meet up with Skylar at some point. I can't wait. I really do want to eventually do a podcast after hunting on one of these public properties or one of these privately bought properties turned back to the hands of the public. So until next time, guys, always choose adventure and God bless.